1: Welcome to Virtual Reality Church. Welcome to
0: our virtual church. Is there some type of way for a virtual congregation? You're not a congregation if you don't congregate. When you combine this access with the loss of the local, I become my own confession, and I go around the World Wide Web listening for echoes that say back to me what I've already decided to believe. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
2: Hello and welcome to Wretched, my name is Todd Friel, our very special guest today. Who would have thought? The Reverend Billy Graham. Welcome to the program, Billy.
3: The problems and the perplexities that we face as a nation seem to be almost overwhelming. Recently, one of our leaders speaking to a group of students at Johns Hopkins University said that we may well be living in the most confusing, bewildering and perplexing hour of history, all of our leaders agree that the world seems to be plunging headlong toward disaster. However, we are are at Wretched Radio. As I have traveled around the world, I've met scores of young people influenced by this ministry founded so many years ago. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come, hundreds of you, you simply get up out of your seats and i want you to come and for those of you who have joined us tonight at with at television with television we'd like to send you some literature we'd like to send you a book that has been a blessing to tens of thousands of people around the world written by pastor lutza <laughs> Just write to me, Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all the address you need. Just Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And now until this same time next week, goodbye. And may the Lord bless you real good.
2: (laughs) It's like we have two guests in one, the Reverend Billy Graham and Dr. Erwin Lutzer, author of two recent, well, pretty much half of all books published have been written by you. Basically, but these are your two most recent books, (laughs) which will help you to deal with the perplexing times in which we live. Now, before we begin working our way through these tomes, there's something that I'm afraid I must do. Are you ready? Happy birthday to you. That's all I'm giving you. 81st birthday
3: Yes, and you know, the good thing about old age, Todd, is it doesn't last very long. <laughs> I'm hoping not. You know, that's, that's quite exciting. I've decided not to fight old age because the statistics are impressive, and in the end, it wins.
2: <laughs> Speaking of old age, it's, it's kind of an amazing phenomenon. Before the Lord saved me, my biggest fear was death. Terrified. As a kid, I, we never went to church. I never heard about Jesus, but I knew what awaited me on the other side of the veil was not going to be pretty. Then the Lord saved me years later, and now I don't want to sound suicidal, but I'm actually now increasingly looking forward to the day that I get to pass from this life to the next. Isn't that an amazing fruit of the gospel?
3: It is, and in my case, I have to say that the older I get, I begin to anticipate that too. Now, as I've already mentioned, the statistics are impressive. So I've actually written out, basically, my funeral, who I'd like to have to speak, some of the songs that I'd like to have sung, and I've given it to a number of different people. And uh, I hope that that won't happen soon, but, you know, we have to be realistic about this. I know a man who worked in oncology, which is to say he oversaw a ward in a hospital of cancer patients. He said something to me that was very distressing. He said sometimes the unsaved are more realistic about death because they know they're going to die. And the Christians say, oh, God is going to heal me. So they make no provision for death. And in some instances, a man dies. His widow doesn't know what he would have preferred for his funeral. They've not taken care of their finances. Why? Because they have this hope for healing. Well, sometimes God heals, and often he doesn't. And so we just have to face death and be very realistic about it.
2: So I guess the question for me is, exactly what role am I playing in the funeral of Dr. Erwin Lutzer? Where do you have me slotted into those notes?
3: Well, I told my staff that there was room for several (laughs) different slots. You know, my wife, Rebecca, we were with Steve Green, who's a marvelous singer, and he sang so beautifully and touched our hearts. So afterwards, Rebecca said to him, I'd like you to sing at my husband's funeral. And he said, great. Do you have a date? <laughs> I hope not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're so, going to be on Dateline before you know yeah, it. Yeah,
3: right. So the point to be made is we simply do not know the day we're going to die, and in that sense, we have to prepare to uh, for eternity. But yet, all of us hope that we have more time.
2: Yeah, and that I think is perhaps the best place for us to start because our goal in spending time with you is to figure out how we are supposed to live and speak in what I think even Billy Graham would say, no, these are unprecedented times. This is a very challenging time in our nation. I I just was reading an article by uh, Victor Hansen that said that we are living with a mere veneer of civilization left, that there is not much glue holding us together at this point. Would you say in 81 years that this is a uniquely unprecedented time.
3: I really would say that, and I'll tell you why. Because many of the supports that we here had in America, and remember I was born and raised in Canada, but I'm a naturalized citizen here in the United States, coming here in the early 1970s. So I've had the opportunity of observing everything that is happening, And you know, Todd, it seems as if everything is falling apart at the same time. I mean, we obviously have a great deal of political polarization. Racial tension is higher than it's ever been before. We have economic woes that are coming upon us. And not only that, in the midst of this, we have a moral revolution. And this is so important for people who are listening to realize the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, woe to those who call darkness light. But remember, that's only part of the revolution. The revolution is not over until light is called darkness. And what was canceled yesterday is being criminalized today. And so the way in which you make sure that darkness wins Let me put it as clearly as I can. It used to be that darkness was optional. Today, the society and increasingly laws want to make darkness the law of the land. And that gets very scary. So in America, we've never been here before. Now, if you contrast us with other countries, Christians have always been an island of righteousness and a sea of paganism. They have always had to stand against the culture. And of course, they've had it much more difficult than we do. But for Americans, this is a unique and very difficult period. No reason to hide and
2: we will not be silenced these are two books intended to help the church navigate through unprecedented times and they are because we've dealt with political issues in the past we've dealt with societal issues even the sexual revolution was shocking in the 60s but today it's it's accelerated and it's more and the foundations do appear to be crumbling if a christian is going to be a light in this world if you had to give one piece of advice, what would it be, what direction would you send us on so that we can engage with our world and win it?
3: First of all, I would always emphasize that there's no way that we can avoid the culture war. We haven't asked for the culture war, but here is my piece of advice. When we engage the culture, let's always do it redemptively. Our aim is not just the transformation of culture. Our aim is always the gospel witness, always making sure that people hear about Jesus, what he has done for us, why they need him. That always has to be paramount because we could save the culture if that were possible without Jesus, but then what would we have? Men and women are lost, and many of them don't know that they are lost, but they are still seeking because the Spirit of God is working in their hearts. So my word of advice to Christians is this. When you confront the culture, do it always with the idea that the most important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, even in the books that you referenced, what I did, I said to myself, what are those cultural issues that Christians are facing that they can't help but face? You know, the teachers in the school just uh, this week, I met a teacher who was fired because he wouldn't get the vaccine, but also because he refused to teach the curriculum that he is expected to teach in the state of Illinois. Well, there's an example of a man who confronted the culture. He did the right thing. Namely, he said, I can't violate my conscience and do these things. But at the same time, what he did is he also let people know that he was a believer and he was doing this as a matter of conscience.
2: These two books, well worth your time, as you no doubt have been scratching your head wondering what's going on. Well, it's basically rooted in the Garden of Eden, but the question that we are going to try to continue to answer is, how now do we live in this particular time? With Dr. Erwin Lutzer, next on Wretched. Isn't this groovy. Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A pre-born center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device. A pre-born clinic in Miami vandalized and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life and yet the pre-born centers continue to open
3: Support organizations like Preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today, offering freely loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution.
2: Please join the literal battle for life. Preborn.org/slash/wretched. Preborn.org/slash/wretched.
1: Thank you for joining us for Wretched Radio today. When is the last time you took a gander around the Wretched Store? If it's been a while, I'd like to urge you to do so today. The Wretched Store is home to tons of great resources: books, booklets, videos, MP3s, and curriculum. And I'll go out on the limb and say that everybody will be able to find something they'll love and learn from in the Wretched Store. So take some time and peruse all we have available: wretched.org/store. All of the resources that you'll find are only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. We can't produce the content that we're able to produce without that ongoing support. So while you're visiting the Wretched store at Wretched.org, would you also consider taking a look at our donate page by clicking the give link at the top of the page. There you'll find all the information you will ever need regarding becoming a gospel partner. Wretched.org slash store Wretched.org slash donate Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel.
0: Athanasius was the bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century. He was a champion of the church's fight against Arianism and was a chief author of the Nicene Creed. However, his orthodoxy did not equal popularity. Athanasius was exiled no less than five times, but Athanasius chose to honor God instead of man. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched. You are viewing a man
2: who is coveting specifically the voice of our special guest, your voice, Dr. Lutzer. You've been told this, I'm sure, over the decades. You're on a thousand radio stations preaching for 36 years at Moody Church in Chicago, and you're still alive, which we're grateful for these days because of the Chicago has changed a little bit. Your voice is just butter. That's what your voice is. It's butter,
3: warm butter. Well, I have to tell you that I've never heard that before. You have I'm not too. Sure. Come on. I'm not sure what warm butter is, but <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment
1: if it was intended that way. It was.
3: Now, you have to understand, I was born and raised on a farm in Saskatchewan, the last of five children. And uh, Billy Graham became my hero. And on my father's tractor, I did two things. I impersonated Billy Graham, but I also quoted Scripture i learned books of the bible by memory oh you were one of those guys yeah. oh you know my. in bible school i said to myself i'm not graduating unless i can quote john by memory all 21 chapters now i worked on it for several years because then you forget and you redo it but at christmas the christmas before i graduated. I quoted the entire Gospel of John in two hours and 15 minutes. And one day on my father's tractor, I quoted the scripture for four hours without repeating myself. Now, really, I want to say this sincerely to everybody who's listening. I didn't mention that to brag. I had wrong motives. I wanted to be known as the preacher boy. But, you know, even so, when we memorize scripture, It does affect our mind. It cleanses the mind. It has power. And so I'm thankful for those days. I certainly can't quote those scriptures anymore, of course. But um, I would say to anyone who's listening, memorize even just a verse a week. Keep the Word of God in your heart because it is transforming. So we couldn't do
2: like a a request program now where we said, Colossians, just do Colossians. No, (laughs) no, I couldn't do Colossians. But you know what is fascinating? I don't know if you've ever heard this fellow who memorized the book of Hebrews, and he presents it. Some people believe that this was basically a transcript of a sermon by the Apostle Paul. And listening to him preach it as opposed to just hearing it read— it has an amazingly different impact on you. And I would imagine the same thing would be true with the Gospel of John or any other book. Hearing it proclaimed, almost preached, it just feels
3: different than reading it. It does because it flows through the personality of the person who's quoting it. You know, all good preaching, God uses our personalities. But also, it enables us to see the whole sweep of the book. Normally, we're quoting verses, we are taking it apart, dissecting it, various parts of Scripture. But it's wonderful to be able to see the entire Scripture, an entire book, all at once, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah,
2: reading a book all the way through. In fact, I've heard somebody suggest, don't just read a chapter. You can do that. Daily devotional time can take on all sorts of manifestations. But if you read, for instance, a short epistle... And then the next day, you read the entire thing again, and you read the entire thing again. You start to understand the big picture, and you see the theme of the book making its way throughout. Dr. Lutzer, speaking of books, No Reason to Hide, and We Will Not Be Silenced. These are two books intended to help the church navigate through unprecedented times. Not that I mind being Pharisaical. It is not the attitude or the posture the Christian should take. As we go about the business of engaging our world, which appears to have a dimmer switch on it, the light is being dimmed progressively, and we must now engage redemptively, and that ain't easy. Dr. Lutzer, these two books help us to do just that. How to Engage with our focus on seeing people get saved, because if we are merely moral campaigners, we really are no different than the
3: Pharisees, are we? We aren't. And, you know, when it comes to communication, as you know, one of my books, if not both of them, have a chapter on the whole business of propaganda. As a boy, when I read the words of Jesus, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. I didn't understand that, because everybody that I knew had ears. So why couldn't they hear? And then I began to realize that we hear only that which we want to hear. We want to hear certain things and if we don't want to hear them, we just don't listen, even if the words are there. Here's my point. Speaking of engaging the culture redemptively, what we have to do is to recognize that oftentimes we have to win people's attitude We have to make sure that we present the gospel in a way that they might be willing to hear. And we can't do that by just being judgmental, by just preaching at them, because they're not listening. You know, in Europe, there was a preacher who was standing in a public square, actually outside of Swingley's church in Switzerland, and he was preaching the gospel and he was shouting condemnation at the people. Now, I don't speak German too well, but I know it well enough. I went up to him and confronted him and he stopped preaching. And in my best German, I said, don't do it this way. I said, do you notice that nobody is around you? The closest people were standing five blocks away. I said, look at the brokenness of people. Go weep with them. Pray with them. And, you know, he immediately packed up his bag and left. And And the tour guide said, what in the world did you say to that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Because nobody was interested. They thought that the man was a little bit crazy. Sure, sure. Now, that's an extreme view, but we can come across that way, too, if we have a judgmental spirit. But at the same time, we have to teach the younger generation, Todd, that truth and love are not enemies. Yeah, that's right. But that's not easy. That's not easy because we tend to either go the truth route in which we can then show very little love or the love route and actually compromise scripture. It's not easy.
2: A number of years ago, there was an open air preacher when I would go out to the campus of the University of Minnesota, and he would take two Bibles in the middle of the square and he would do this get ready. You children need a Bible bashing, you children need a scripture spanking. Oh, my. And he gathered a crowd, and then he presented the gospel, which basically was, you women need to be submissive and ask your husbands for a vacuum cleaner this Christmas. And I'm not even exaggerating. Did it draw a crowd? Well, it did, but it was a hostile crowd. (laughs) They were not interested in hearing the gospel. And interestingly, he never got to it. He couldn't find his way to the gospel. So, Dr. Lutzer, it is a culture war, but that term can lead us to places where maybe we do not bear fruit of the spirit for people because, well, we're, we're trained increasingly these days because of cable news that we've got to win the argument. We've got to win the battle for morality. How do I keep these issues in view and yet, remember that the main thing is the main thing, which it doesn't profit a man if he gets straightened out on CRT, Marxism, gender issues, but loses his soul. If you had to concisely say how we do that, what would be the recipe?
3: I think it has a great deal to do with one's attitude. I think that if you have an attitude of judgmentalism, obviously you're going to turn people off. It is possible to lovingly, if you understand your own brokenness, to lovingly engage people with the gospel and let them know why you're taking a certain course of action and why you can't do A, B, and C. And you have to help them to understand that it is not so much that we are trying to be against them who hold a different view, except that we have some deep convictions that we need to be true to. And they need to respect but you're, that. But
2: you're saying something important in that, not just responding. Well, the problem with CRT is that Antonio Gramsci concocted, okay, that's fine. But the Christian way to be redemptive in it is to, is to explain where this comes from. You see, I believe in this book called The Bible, and here's what it teaches about God. This is what it teaches about man. And right there, we see the flaw in this instance, Marxism or CRT, the nature of man. So it's just, you just got to be thinking, and, bring and, it to the and Bible. We have
3: to show them the superiority of what the Bible right. teaches. Right. It deals with CRT, but very differently. I mean, it deals with the racial issue, but, we but want in a way to that, do that is do it helpful.
2: Helpful and redemptive. <sighs> Not an easy conversation. This is big. There are trunks that need to be unpacked. That is what we will do. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, the author of We Will Not Be Silenced, No Reason to Hide, two excellent books to help you not only understand the issues to sure, which are the issues of the day, but also how to be a light in an increasingly darkened world.
1: Next on Wretched. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. A Virginia lawmaker says she plans to introduce legislation that would have parents criminally prosecuted if they do not affirm their child as transgender. Yeah, that's a true story. Teachers and social workers would have to report parents to Child Protective Services under the bill envisioned by State Delegate Elizabeth Guzman. Guzman said this. She said, quote, It could be a felony. It could be a misdemeanor. But we know that CPS charges could harm your employment, because nowadays, many people do a CPS database search before offering employment. Orwellian is what comes to mind here. Well, obviously, you know by now how the public schools are actively involved in transgendering kids by calling them preferred pronouns and new names behind the backs of parents. Well, one Pennsylvania school district put it into that, saying they'd no longer lie to and deceive parents about their child's gender confusion, which obviously is the right thing to do. But the ACLU responded and said, nope, not going to happen. The organization is bringing a lawsuit against the school district because that policy infringes upon the rights of children and the rights of schools to hide things from parents. We are living in an upside down and backwards world when a professional organization run by adults are actively advocating for keeping parents in the dark about the activities of their children. Well, a local TV reporter in Nebraska was fired from her job for circulating a petition at her church that sought to make the town a sanctuary city for the unborn. The story says Melanie Stanford said that she was fired because according to her boss, she was practicing partisan politics. And she said she responded by saying, I don't believe being pro-life is partisan. And it makes you ask the question and wonder out loud how many anchors were fired by this company for supporting abortion, Black Lives Matter, gay pride events. Drag Queen, Story Hour, or any of the other liberal ideologies. I'm gonna go ahead and go out on the limb and say none. Because only in America is it a cultural crime to want to save the lives of the unborn. What a world, what a world. Kathy Lee Gifford is in the news. The former actress, T V personality, and best selling author recently passionately defended marriage and argued that monogamy is under attack. Gifford said, quote, God loves marriage. God instituted marriage for a reason for a purpose. Family is so important to God. Marriages are under attack. Monogamy is under attack, end quote. I don't know very much about Kathleen Gifford's faith, but she's definitely spot on with that quote. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks.
0: of the Bible. Deuteronomy means second law. As the Israelites prepared to enter the promised land after wandering 40 years, God reminds them of how He rescued them from Egypt, what He commands in His law, and the blessings and curses that come with keeping or breaking His law. God is faithful to provide the inheritance He has promised to His children. This is Wretched Radio with
2: Todd Friel. Hello and welcome to uh, Wretched Surprise. Our very special guest is still here, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, author of two recent books. Although you basically have written a library, We Will Not Be Silenced and No Reason to Hide, both excellent books to help us speak truth in love. Dr. Lutzer, we're amazed you're here. And frankly, we're even more amazed that you've stayed here.
3: Well, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as we dialogue about this, I hope that people listen carefully because it is so important for us to be able to help them. It's not that we have all the answers, but if we can help them think through where some of the lines are and draw a line and say, I can do this in the culture, but I can't do that, For example, at Moody Church, a teacher in the school system in Illinois told me, he was told, it is not enough for you to simply tolerate same-sex marriage. If you don't celebrate it, you could lose your job. Now, that for him is a line in the sand. So I want to ask our listeners this question. If he loses his job because of his principles, Is the rest of the church going to come around him? Are we going to say we're going to help you financially and in every way? We're even going to have to rethink what church is all about in this collapsing culture. So my desire always is to say, how do we help the body of Jesus Christ navigate this culture? And of course, as I like to emphasize, I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa.
2: I think I do, Dr. Lutzer. Oh, you do? Well, I think I do.
3: Yes, well, <laughs> why are you interviewing me? I should be interviewing you because you're the one with all the but, answers. But you bring
2: up an important point about the local church. Yes. And that maybe maybe the Lord is using this shifting culture to perhaps help us have a higher view of the local church and our need for one another.
3: Rebecca and I were in the Soviet Union many years ago, and we went to a home after the services. Each time there was a different home that we went to to eat dinner. What amazed us was all the food that was on the table. And I said to somebody, where does all this food come from? Because I know that the people were poor. They weren't all able to buy this. And they said, in our church, at a, at a time like this, when we have a special guest, everybody brings something. Yeah. So the church, in its poverty, decided that it's important that we stay together, that we all do something And there was a sense of unity and connection there that we as Americans don't have because we go to church and then we go into our cars and we go home and we go our separate ways. And we may have certain get togethers, obviously, but they do it because of necessity, basically, to help their believers to recognize we are in this together now. Since I'm talking about that incident, I want to tell you that when we were in the Czech Republic a few years ago, here's what a man, a pastor, told us. I hope everyone listens to this. He said that the church endured communism much better than it endured freedom. Mm. He said under communism, we used to meet together, we used to pray together, we used to encourage one another to be faithful no matter the cost. He said when freedom came and technology, we lost our young people because they are now interested in making money. They're watching everything online. They have become a consumer culture. So back to your point, we have to now rethink what church is all about and why it is that we so desperately need each other.
2: I think it was, uh, was it Ross Dreyer, the Benedict option, from his Eastern Orthodox perspective, going back to St. Benedict. Basically, Christians should start thinking about forming cloisters, um, where we just have these little societies, maybe even separate from civilization because of the hostility that he believes is coming. I think we already have those little cloisters. It's called the local church. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, and I I, um, I read reviews of the book. I didn't read the book. But my problem was, should Christians withdraw from the culture like that? And, and it's impossible, really. A businessman, he has certain issues he has to navigate regarding diversity and all the other things that his business is expecting him to accept. How do you withdraw him from those kinds of influences if he wants to keep his job? I'm not sure that we have the alternative to live in cloisters.
2: I'm not either, but this is increasingly becoming a time where people are going to be losing their jobs. They might not get their diploma. They might be in trouble with the government, so let us tackle that subject in particular with Dr. Erwin Lutzer. We will not be silenced. This is a book that will help you to speak in a time where your words aren't always welcomed. No place to hide. The, the two books, you should have just made one big book is what you should have done. Because they really do go hand in hand. So Dr. Lutzer, this is, this is what I'd like to do. I'm going to read a quote from this book. I understand the tension we as Christians feel, wrote the good doctor. We would prefer not to become involved in politics or culture wars. We want to be known as loving and caring, and we want to be known for what we support, not what we're against. We want to be known as being apolitical for a reason. We don't want to allow what appears to be secondary issues, disagreements that divide us. We don't want to erect needless stumbling blocks for the gospel. I agree that sometimes neutrality is best, but at other times it is not possible. Sometimes political issues force us into a moral corner where we must choose either side. So how does a Christian engage in the political realm without becoming a political being and undermining the main thing?
3: A couple of things. First of all, to those who think that politics isn't important, I like to ask them this question. What would the people, the Christians in Nazi Germany say? Is politics important? Mm -hmm. Go to North Korea. Is politics important? It's very important, but it's not all important. As a pastor, I have never endorsed a political candidate or a political party because When you do that, you run into all kinds of issues and barriers in terms of the gospel and you get pigeonholed. But we can preach on the issues. I mean, the issues of abortion, the transgender revolution, and on and on. And we can do this in that way we can influence politics. Now, if you're not a pastor, I'm praying every day for two people, for example, who are running for Congress. Were Christians so they're out there as Christians identifying the issues they're speaking to it it's not as if they always give a Christian message when they campaign but they have Christian values and in their own sphere of influence they are representing Christ so it's difficult but I believe in America Christians can be involved in government now here's something interesting I was in St. Petersburg many years ago lecturing, to seminary students, and I made the statement that people should be involved in government, Christians should, and immediately I could see that people were looking at one another, and I had said something that was uh, improper, and my interpreter later said, you must understand, here, politics is so corrupt that no Christian should be involved. I understand that, but America is different, we still have the opportunity to have Christians in government and in their own way, they can advance the Christian message through freedom and in other ways. But everyone ultimately is responsible, every believer, for making Jesus look good, if I might put it that way, right. so that they understand that we are different because we have a Savior.
2: But that's 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 not easy. And- I don't know that there's hard and fast rules about this, but if I'm engaging somebody on whatever the issue is, I'm trying to think the bigger issue here is salvation, but we're talking about something that is clearly connected to the political realm. Finding that balance of speaking to the issues without being identified with a party or with a policy is a tricky little balance. So let's see if we can find it with our very special guest, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, author of two books, encourage you to get and consume and work through how to apply the principles that you will read here, because this ain't easy, but we'll try to find our balance
1: next on Wretched. The month of October is finally here, which means football season is in full swing, basketball season's not far behind, the leaves are falling, and it's time for the annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale. Now through the 25th, all of our gospel booklets are on sale, and I mean really on sale. Packs of 25 and 50 are 40% off, and packs of 100 are 35% off for Don't Stub Your Toe, Are You a Rotten Fish, The Man Who Splits time," and 13 Reasons Not to Commit Suicide. There's no charge, as always, for solving the God puzzle. It's the perfect opportunity for you to grab booklets to hand out on Halloween. And no, I'm not encouraging you to celebrate the Devil's Day, but let's face it, kids are still coming to your door whether you like it or not, so why not hand them the gospel and shine some light on this dark and demonic day? And while everybody else is handing out cavities and sugar crashes, you can give the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale, happening now at wretched.org. How's
2: inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years it works and the members including myself and mrs freel love it which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance if inflation has got you down call up the people at medishare eight four four three four 34 bible or medishare.com slash wretched
1: are we heading toward a dystopian society? Who decides what is good and evil? Who decides what truth is? Are there such things as fate or free will? Morals? Are we born with those? Or does the culture we live in inform them? Those are all really good questions and topics that we tackle daily on Wretched Radio and TV. Our goal has always been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we're only able to do that with the help of our gospel partners Partners. If you are a Wretched Gospel partner, thank you so much for your support, which has allowed us to create compelling, quality productions that catch the eye of unbelievers, but aren't so cringy they make believers blush. And if you aren't currently, would you pray about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Help us continue to reach millions all over the world with the gospel. Just visit wretched.org donate, or you can also just as easily text the word Wretched to the number 44321.
2: who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org Bible, wretched.org Bible to join the Master's Academy International.
0: The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that God is working in us. Every believer will evidence this fruit, but it is important to remember that bearing fruit is a consequence of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. God is working in us and through us, and He is the source of this fruit, not us. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, this is a bit of a disappointment.
2: Welcome back to Wretched. I thought our guest, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, was a Bible preacher, but apparently your church is just Moody Church, not Moody Bible Church. I always do that because D.L. Moody, of course. Yes,
3: uh, and uh, of course we preach the Bible, (laughs) but sometimes people confuse it with Moody Bible Institute. Institute. So... Just to clarify, the church is about 23 years older than the Institute. Oh, is that right? So Moody began the church in 1864. And you know why he began it? Because the other churches were not willing to take in the children that he was gathering for his Sunday school in one of the roughest areas of Chicago. And these kids were rowdy. Nobody could control them. And while I'm on the subject of Moody... I'm going to take a minute. Moody was a shoe salesman, and he wanted to sell a lot of shoes, and he was good at what he was doing, all right. But he had this Sunday school. Abraham Lincoln stopped by to speak to the students on his way to Washington to be inaugurated. But Moody still wanted to make money. And one day, one of the teachers came to him and said, I have to go back east because I have tuberculosis. And I have these girls that are in my class, and they are so rowdy, I can't control them. Moody couldn't control them. Moody said, let's visit them with my pony this week. So they went from girl to girl and led each individually to Christ. All right, I want people to see this. So Sunday evening comes, and they have to say goodbye to this teacher. These girls are in a circle. Moody is kneeling in a circle, praying for this teacher. When he finishes praying, he begins to get up from his knees. And then this girl begins to pray, and that girl begins to pray, and all the girls prayed. And Moody said, I got up from my knees, and money never tempted me again. I left selling shoes, and the only thing that mattered to me is preaching the gospel and leading people to Christ.
2: And that is why, sir, I am very grateful that you've maintained that tradition of keeping the main thing the main thing which is the gospel and the salvation of souls because as we engage in these political issues and social issues it's very easy to sound like a talking head on fox news so here's here's what i'd like to do and this is i recognize up front this has the potential to be kind of silly but this is where i think the rubber meets the road Where we take ideas and theologies and bring it down into common parlance, where we are talking and engaging with people. So, I am going to try to meet. You're a you're a pagan. Can you play that role for just a moment? I think so. Okay, I think so. You're a (laughs) (laughs) pagan. You're a pagan. (laughs) Okay, I'm a pagan, and clearly I'm the evangelical Christian. Right. Yeah. So I am going to talk to you about what I'm witnessing in the political realm. And then what I'd like for you to do is coach me better. How might I say something about a political issue more Christianly? Are you ready to go?
3: Well, is a pagan qualified to help you well, say you better? Well, you
2: can stop playing that role okay. and then I'll okay. play the pagan All right, something you, like something that. Something
3: like that. We'll see how I this goes. I told you it was
2: a bad idea. <laughs> All
3: right. We <laughs> we'll out find out straight. in a few minutes if it was very bad.
2: Yeah, well, you see, here's the deal, my pagan friend, that unless we have more red than blue in this country, we are gonna go right down the tubes. The, the, the political issues, the taxes, with the economy and inflation, we see an encroachment of socialism, and, and there's only one way to get rid of it, and it's to get better politicians in Washington, and that is who you need to be voting for. How did I do as a Christian?
3: Well, as a Christian, I think that you had a lot of truth. It could well be that what you're saying politically is correct. But what you also have to do, which you didn't, is to help this person think through ideas that are more transcendent and to say that you as a believer are committed to what the Bible teaches And that the Bible actually has a better path because it deals with issues that are even more important than politics. And it's possible, and maybe, of course, you can't get into all this in a discussion, especially if you're on TV. But we have to understand it's possible for a nation to go down at the same time when the gospel of Jesus Christ is going up and multitudes are believing. You take, for example, in China. Here you have people who don't have any freedom. They are constantly under surveillance. We know that story. And yet at the same time, the Church of Jesus Christ is increasing. So you have to present your political view in such a way that you help people to understand that ultimately there's something better and more important even than politics and that is our relationship with God. Now, I'm not sure if that's helpful.
2: Let me try it, and you tell me how I do, all right? So I'm gonna try to, t- I've read these two books, and you in just repeatedly, incessantly make the case. We speak truth and love, we must keep our eye on redemption and not just reclaiming a culture. So let me try and see if I can do better based on what you've been coaching me to do so far. Mr. Pagan, uh, no doubt you see what's happening on cable news and everybody's fighting and we're at war with one another ideologically. With your permission, I'd like to share with you perhaps a perspective that's unique. As a Christian, I believe that politics is not the headwaters. I, I believe that religion is specifically the religion of Jesus Christ, Christianity, and that politics flows from that. So in other words, I'm not a political being, I'm I'm a Christian, but it affects my politics. And I'd like to share with you what that looks like. How is that?
3: That's much better, that's much better. still
2: not great, I can feel it. No, no. You're gonna give me a grade and it's not an A.
3: Well, I uh, think maybe it would be, an A, at least an A minus. Okay, I can take and, that. And, and the reason for that is because you seem to be using your Christianity as an excuse to not talk about the issues that you talked about before. Right. So the question is this is very complex. I don't think there's any right or wrong here, but it depends who's doing the interview, it depends on why you are being interviewed. All of that, it depends on whether or not you're a politician or an ordinary Christian who's trying to navigate the culture. All of that plays into what you are saying. But your idea of saying that I believe that there's something more transcendent than politics is, of course, excellent, where you're trying to help people to see that despite all the wrangling where we can't agree There are some things that are eminently important, and then you give your testimony and your relationship with Christ and why the Bible gives an answer that politics cannot have. The reason that America is a little different is we're invited into the political process. But when you go to a country where basically they do not have freedom, they are not a part of the political process, structure. They are really victims of whatever government wants to exploit them. The only thing that we should show is compassion and the gospel. You know that um, the famous preacher Spurgeon was asked by an atheist. The atheist, of course, was trying to argue why atheism was so great. And Spurgeon said to him, how many orphanages in London are run by atheists. Goose egg. Goose egg. The orphanages in London were Christians ministering to the broken, to the poor, to the rejected, and that's Christianity at its best with the good news of the gospel given to these children with a Christian foundation, Christian teachers, and so forth.
2: Dr. Lutzer, what I could do at this moment is Paula Ben Shapiro. I'm going to use the Tomorrow Clubs. It's one of the ministries that we're excited about here. They're in Ukraine, Albania, Georgia, Moldova, Russia, and now in Africa. And the reason that we're excited about this ministry is because they don't go into these poor villages to talk to them about political upheaval or the problem with communism. Instead, they preach the gospel.
3: And that is exactly what you should be doing in those countries. And might I
2: also suggest this country too. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.